Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sounding Jewish Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Samantha Cooper, and each episode presents my conversations with musicologists, ethnomusicologists, and sound study scholars who specialize in the music and sound of Jewish experience. I am absolutely delighted to welcome you to today's episode featuring Dr. Philip Alexander. Welcome to Sounding Jewish, and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Phil. Can you start us off today by telling us a little bit about yourself? Also, where in the world are you joining us from? Uh, Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, great to be taking part in this, and I'm intrigued as to what you're going to ask me. My name is Phil Alexander, and I am a doctor of ethnomusicology. I currently work at the Reed School of Music in the University of Edinburgh. Um, And my current research project uh, is called Listening In on Jewish Scotland. And that's where I'm joining you from, is Edinburgh. Oh, wonderful. Can you start us off by telling us about one of your earliest encounters with Jewish music or sound and why this was such a formative experience for you? And in particular, what kinds of personal or musical experiences made you want to study Jewish music? Yeah, I suppose one of the early encounters with Jewish music that actually propelled me to go further as opposed to just encountering it as part of my family or or my my daily life was when I was a student, an undergrad student in Sheffield, Sheffield Polytechnic as it then was, and I was studying cultural studies. I wasn't studying music at that point. And one of the guys I lived with uh, was a tuba player and he played in a street band. He was a tuba and trombone player and he played in a street band and he came back from a rehearsal with his street band and I asked him what he'd been playing. And he said, we did some klezmer music. And I said, oh yeah, what's that? I'd never heard of it. And he said, well, it's kind of Russian, Eastern European Jewish music. And I was instantly intrigued by that, obviously. Uh, you know, being Jewish and liking Russian music and the sound of Eastern Europe and the, these kind of things. You know, I was quite sort of green about musically about all of this, but I was already intrigued by what this might be. So he played me some records. He played me some records of the the West Coast Monster, the Klesmorim, Lev Lieberman's band. And it was amazing. You know, I loved it straight away. this guy the tuba player taught me some tunes and I didn't really get a chance to do any of this for a while but it absolutely planted a seed that I couldn't get rid of at that point and then I suppose this led on eventually to quite a long time working in Jewish music as a as a player you know working in klezmer music playing in a a bar mitzvah band and a simcha band and we traveled up and down the UK playing at weddings and bar mitzvahs and anything else anyone would have us for with uh, that was led by a great great clarinetist called Gregory Schechter who had come from uh, Russia and first had gone to Israel he got out just before Glasnost so he'd waited as a refusenik for about 15 years and finally got out and then you know two months later <laughs> Gorbachev opened the gates um, and then he moved to the UK and was one of the first fully busy working klezmer musicians and klezmer band leaders in the UK in the, uh, this was in the 90s that I worked in, the the mid uh, 90s. (laughs) 
And so I was playing a lot of klezmer music and learning about klezmer music and learning about Yiddish music and loving it. And then I guess that kind of lasted me for a good, well, nearly a couple of decades, nearly really as a, as a working musician. And then in about 20, I can tell you exactly because I know how old our son is. In 2010, we had a child on the way and I wanted to be spending less time away, less time touring, less time as a working musician and more time, you know, at home with my family. And my partner said, well, you know, you've always been talking about going back and doing some studying. And this was a good 15 years since I'd done any studying, more even. Um, and she said, well, now would be a good chance to do that. And so that was what started my motivation to go back into study, into academia, and specifically to study Jewish music. I knew that I wanted to study music, which I had done. I had done a second degree in music, but not specifically about Jewish music. That was about um, classical and contemporary music at Goldsmiths in the University of London. And I thought this would be a good chance to study Jewish music in really in some greater depth and with much more rigor than I had ever done before. Uh, to, I suppose, in a sense, to try to understand how it works a little bit, try to understand what's behind it. You know, you always, you kind of move through music as a musician quite a lot, but to step back from the music that you're playing and to think about it intellectually and, and to study it in that way can be very, uh, very gratifying in its own terms, but also can, I think, feed back into your musical practice. Well, it sets up a dialogue both ways, which I think is extremely valuable and has often sustained me in trying to get that often tricky balance between you know, life as a, as, a, as a musician and as an academia. Um, so I suppose that's what brought me into academia through my musical practice. And it was a chance to hopefully unite several parts of my own musical and cultural life. Uh, and that's what, that's what took me there about, um, well, into academia about 12, 13 years ago. And, and I'm still here. <laughs> well, we're glad you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> What was that transition like from going from being this performing musician to entering the academy? It was great. I was absolutely ready for it. I was really, really ready for it. You know, life as a working musician is great fun because you get to do what you love. It's often hard because there's a lot of traveling, a lot of going around, you know, different places, a lot of kind of flying by the seat of your pants and really having to adapt to circumstances which you might not necessarily choose, not, not ideal performance circumstances, but I, I really enjoyed all of that very much. But by the time I went uh, into serious academia, I was absolutely ready for that bit of my brain, for that kind of intellectual side of my life to be expanded. And I have to say that the choice, I mean, in the UK, in terms of studying Jewish music, the, the place to go certainly was and probably still is, is SOAS at the University of London. And that, so that was where I ended up. And it was a great choice. You know, it was, it was everything I kind of hoped it was going to be. And the people that I met and the people who were teaching me were absolutely mind blowing from the word go. So it was, I was really ready for it. I, I was ready to grab it. Um, and also we did, at this point, we had a very young son. So the other part of my life was, you know, made up with baby noises and uh, <laughs> walking the dog through through parks with a baby strapped to my chest. So it was a lovely counterbalance to that as well. And I had the time to be at home and do all the reading that I'd never done and this kind of thing. Awesome. So if you were to meet a young scholar who wanted to enter this field and similarly was coming from being a performing musician and making this transition, what kind of advice would you offer them? I suppose I would say if, if you're going to enter this field, then get to know and pick a topic and an area of study that really excites you. Because as a practitioner, 
who then goes on to study, certainly from my own experience, you're going to end up doing some playing and, and meeting with musicians and, and engaging on that musical as well as scholarly level. And so if you can do that with music and a musical field that moves you and excites you, then you know, both of those things will feed each other in a really kind of strong way. That was certainly my experience, I think. Well said. You recently published a book appropriately titled for our purposes, Sounding Jewish in Berlin. <laughs> yes. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that research project and then also about what you're working on now? With pleasure, yeah. So Sounding Jewish in Berlin came out of my PhD. Um, and maybe just before I go into that, I might just give a nod to a couple of people that were very important in uh, making that happen. My first academic encounter at SOAS was with Ilana Webster-Kogan, um, who at that time had just taken over the Joe Loss uh, um, I'm not sure what its title is, a chair in Jewish music or something like that, whatever was endowed at SOAS uh, for the Jewish music scholarship she'd taken over from Abby Wood. And Ilana was um, an absolute uh, inspiration from the word go. I mean, she has a brain the size of a planet, can make connections that no one had ever dreamt of before, and was also hugely, hugely encouraging and supportive to me. And I think without Ilana's input, I probably wouldn't have got that far along my project. So that's maybe I just want to say that before talking about the project itself. The PhD and subsequently the book is about contemporary klezmer and Yiddish music in the city of Berlin. And I'm sure some of you, you maybe Sam and some other people listening to this will know that Berlin has over the last 30, 40 years developed an extremely active and exciting klezmer music scene, um, attracting fantastic musicians from all over the world, really. It's given that it's in Berlin and given Berlin's historical relationship with its Jewish population, that has raised some questions, particularly around the fact that the early practitioners, many of the practitioners, many of the members of the scene uh, were not Jews. And there was a there was some hackles raised, basically, which you know people may be aware of. Um, but that's not what I was writing about, uh, because I think those, as, as the, the great singer Dan Kahn said to me early on when I interviewed him, he said, We've had those battles, we've fought those fights, and let's let's move on from there. And that's very much what I wanted to do, was to look at what happens to a music in, a, a, what happens to traditional music in a contemporary urban environment, because I think that's one of the most exciting things that can happen to traditional music, really, is when it kind of finds itself in a diverse and cosmopolitan, heterogeneous sort of atmosphere, and what happens to that music. Um, and so that's what I, that's what my project was about, um, and it involved Initially, well, initially catching up on a lot of ethnomusicological theory and, you know, the, the fantastic work of people like Mark Slobin um, and the Klezmer scholarship of people like Joel Rubin and Zev Feldman, all these kind of greats of, of, Yiddish, uh, of Jewish music, academia and practice, in fact. And then it involved going out to and living in Berlin for a year and meeting a lot of musicians, playing with a lot of musicians, kind of immersing myself in that scene uh, and then writing it up. And it was, it was terrific. I, I liked every bit of that process. 
I obviously I particularly like living in Berlin for a year that was <laughs> you know and hanging out with musicians that was lovely but I made some great friends and met a lot of very inspirational people and found also that I was really knocked out by how much people wanted to talk about it how much practitioners wanted to talk about what they were doing Sasha Lurie the, the Yiddish singer said well you shouldn't be surprised at this because this isn't really a scene where people accidentally find themselves you know this is often a place where we have chosen to be so we're likely to have something to say about it and they certainly did so that was that was the project and then the book really was taking that on and particularly yeah particularly looking at how can a traditional music that was born a long way away from this city where I was exploring it in a time very different to where this city find, finds itself now or found itself in, in 2012, 2013. How can traditional music kind of sound the city in that way? Um, how can it contribute to the sound of the city and how can the sound of the city contribute to it? And what's, what is that kind of dialogue? So that's what the book was exploring. And I, yeah, I had a good time writing it, good time researching it and a, even a nice time writing it. Awesome. What would the connections necessarily be between the first project and your work on Klezmer and this new project and how you find yourself working on your current environment in Scotland? Sure. Okay. Well, the initial connections are not all that strong. They really are centered around the fact that they're both dealing with Jewish music or Jewish sound and the city, I suppose. Although this project is really a historical one. So this project began, I was on a postdoc at Glasgow University on a project run by the scholars Hannah Holtschneider and Mia Spiro. Um, Hannah is at Edinburgh and Mia is at Glasgow University. And the project was called Jewish Live Scottish Spaces. And it was quite a large project looking at the kind of cultural milieu and effect of Jewish migration to Scotland in the late 19th and early 20th century, which like many waves, you know, was, was the, such as Scotland had a largest Jewish community. That was the point when it, it came into being. The Jewish community in Scotland has always been pretty small and it's getting smaller still, but it's been reasonably, like many small Jewish communities, it's been reasonably kind of present and, uh, you know, a part of the cultural landscape. So this project was looking at that, looking at the culture of Jewish migration to Scotland in the late 19th, early 20th century. And it was working very closely with the archives, the Scottish Jewish Archives Centre, which is based in Garnet Hill Synagogue in Glasgow. And Garnet Hill is the oldest and the kind of grandest um, of Scotland's uh, synagogues. And it has a very devoted and committed and friendly small archival team. And I met these early on in my involvement in the project and they knew that I was a musician already and they said, well, we have some musical resources here. So I got to work on those, which was terrific. I didn't get loads of chance to work on them as part of the original postdoc because it was involving more things, although that, that did plant a seed. And so when that project was coming to an end, I applied to the British Academy, which is one of the major UK academic funders, to get on their uh, research fellowship scheme to take this research further, which is what it's where I now find myself, which is looking specifically at musical life amongst Scottish Jews of the turn of the 20, at the turn of the 20th century and then into the the first half of the 20th century. So that's how I found myself there. 
it's much more of a historical project, obviously, than my previous one. Um, well, in fact, it's almost totally a historical project. It's dealing with archival resources, which is a new thing for me. And actually, dealing with archivists is a new thing for me. Lovely, but, you know, it's a different world. In as much as there are parallels, it involves thinking about music in the city. It involves thinking about music and migration. It involves thinking about Jewish music as part of a larger canvas of kind of urban sound. Which are, you know are all things that excite me to think about uh, intellectually, but the difference is that I you know there aren't very many recordings or very many things scored and stuff. So I'm doing quite a lot of kind of informed guesswork and conjecture about it, and trying to think more generally about sound and about historical sound, which is you know is something I, I'm enjoying doing. But that's a new departure for me in terms of trying to make it contemporary. I am, well, there's a couple of things that are happening with the scores I'm finding, which I can tell you about at some point, which are, are good kind of, you know, interesting contemporary developments. I'm also interested in taking some of the historical materials I've found and seeing what we can do with them musically contemporary. So using some of the cantorial materials of some of the people I'm studying and some of the Yiddish poetry I've found to, uh, and bringing those into contact with contemporary performers and contemporary musical situations, which is very much an ongoing project. And that's the, that's the probably the interesting practical side of, of this research. And then the other bit is a is a history, is a book essentially of, of musical history. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that, about taking these archival findings, which is, I think, a new mode of research for you, very different from ethnography, and then moving and trying to sort of do this revivalist type thing with the music you're finding in the archives. Have you yeah. been able to get contemporary performers involved and record any of this? Or what is that process like? Yes, it's underway right now. I've got no recording so far, but it's it's now over the next couple of months taking shape. It's great. I'm treating some of the materials as... Well, some of the materials I'm, I'm trying to quite consciously contextualize. For example, I'm writing about a, a poet and union activist called Avram Radutsky, who came from Kiev, Gubernia, and migrated to Glasgow in the 1890s, when he was just about 17 or 18. He came with his brother and no other family. And, and he worked in a cigarette factory in Glasgow, which was a big industry in Glasgow at the time. And he was a very kind of committed union activist. He, he was one of the founders of Scotland's first cigarette workers union. And But he was also a, a poet, kind of in the tradition of, um, of Rosenfeld and the, the sweatshop poetry uh, tradition, sort of. And um, who was the... the uh, Vinchevsky, Morris Vinchevsky, this kind of Yiddish poetic tradition. And I'm interested in taking his work, I've done some translations of his poetry, and I'm interested in working with contemporary Scottish folk singers, of which I have a couple lined up, in, to get their responses to this work and think about these very historically situated accounts of uh, the kind of harsh realities of early 20th century immigrant life in Scotland, in Glasgow particularly, and maybe put them into dialogue with contemporary political concerns, contemporary ecological concerns, these kinds of things. So I'm, I'm working with a couple of 
you know, interested folk singers on that score. So that will be, I think, a, you know, a kind of cool project as it develops. The other large body of musical work I'm, I'm dealing with comes from a cantor called Isaac Herschelf, who was born in Velizh uh, near Vitebsk and emigrated to Glasgow in 1922. When he was already, he already had a family, he was already in his 30s and was reasonably well established as a, as a cousin in, in Poland at this point. Um, he had worked in Warsaw and subsequently in Wamsha and but got an invitation to come and, and live and work in Glasgow and stayed there. And we have, uh, I have courtesy of the Archive Centre and also of Herschel's granddaughter, Adele, who's in Israel, uh, a lot of musical materials of Isaac. So some of those are actually now going to have a life with performances by things like the BBC singers and BBC orchestras and stuff. So they will go into the canon, which is terrific, you know, and that's very exciting. And then some of the smaller pieces, his smaller kind of sketches and things, I'm working with a couple of instrumentalist friends to use them as springboards for um, kind of improvisatory imaginings without wanting to get too navel gazing about that. But that's where we're starting with and we'll see where that goes. We have some concerts lined up early next year, so I'll probably be able to update you a bit more on that as it goes. It's really exciting. It is. Yeah. I know a lot of scholars celebrate the opportunity to teach others as an extension of their research practice and pursuits. Would you be willing to tell me a little bit about your recent lecturing or teaching experiences and how they contribute to your research? Yeah, gladly. The field of Jewish studies and Jewish music studies in the UK is, is pretty tiny. I mean, there's, there's not very many of us, <laughs> really. Uh, so I don't get a great deal of opportunity to directly to kind of build this material into courses, course structure and things like that. I do get asked by colleagues to give presentations on what I'm doing at the moment, which obviously I always take this opportunity to, you know, to throw it out there and see, see what comes back, which actually in an environment such as this is really interesting because it's, it's an informed student audience, but in no way really informed about Jewish music or Jewish musical culture. So, so what I get back is actually always enlightening and, and often kind of surprising in that sense. I guess the teaching currently that most excites me is based as much on my life as a musician as, as an academic. I'm working at the moment at the conservatoire in Glasgow and I'm working with two other members of my band, Moishas Bagel, and we were brought in specifically, we've been associate artists there for the last couple of years. And there are three schools, musical schools in the conservatory in Glasgow. It's a, it's a great school generally. It's, you know, it's consistently very highly ranked in the world as, as a musical institution. And there's a classical school, a jazz school and a trad music school there. And these three branches don't really ever talk to each other. And this is kind of known. I'm not revealing any secrets here by pointing that out. Uh, so part of our brief coming in uh, as artists that work across a diversity of genres was to create a module which brings together students from those different schools. And we're now in the coming up the fourth year of that. Obviously, the first year, first and second year were hit by COVID, but then so is everything. But we're now in the fourth year of that. And it's great because we get the students who are 
looking for something that takes them outside of their comfort zone and that consequently pushes us as teachers and artists to step a little bit outside of our comfort zone. Every year we work with about 20 students in small ensembles with some repertoire, a lot of klezmer repertoire I bring, but also the bass player is Brazilian, so he brings a lot of uh, South American stuff. We work with British folk music and, you know, whatever else comes along. And we're often delighted and certainly surprised by the results that come and the creativity of the students, really. You know, it's, it's terrific. Our aim is to encourage a very broad and kind of all-inclusive approach and to see what comes back from the students. And what comes back is always surprising and always exciting. So that's probably what is currently interesting me most as far as my teaching goes. But I, I, I enjoy all teaching. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Generally, how do you understand the field of Jewish music? What issues or challenges with this field of study do you think that scholars today need to remain attentive to? That's, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, I, I will be interested when these podcasts come out to hear, uh, hear some of the other responses that you've got from this. Um, I, I kind of think of... The field of Jewish music, in terms of, of academia, I think of it as a, as a very valuable and, and frequently quite provocative part of the larger field of ethnomusicology. I mean, that's where I'm coming at it from, as opposed to, you know, for example, a scholar of liturgical music or something like that, I'm coming at it from an ethnomusicological point of view, which I guess means that I'm always thinking about how it situates itself in relation to culture, in relation to cultural practice. Um, and in a way, that I suppose that raises some of the challenges when one's talking about Jewish music, because often in ethnomusicology, you know, as, as you and many people listening to this will know, that you're dealing with quite specific cultures and quite specific geographies. Um, you know, the sort of aim of writing these days has, has been, you know, quite rightly problematized, really. So ethnomusicology is, is often very specific nowadays. So how do you then deal with, you know, with a culture uh, and a sort of a music, if we can even call it that, that spreads itself so diffusely across so many parts of the world. You know, how do we conceptualise ethnomusicology as something which is so diffuse? And I guess that's the challenge. I'm not sure I, you know, really have an answer to that. I think that is the challenge when looking at Jewish music. And in a way, I guess, you know, when we all meet at conferences and have these kind of discussions, we can all bring our, our different perspectives to that and understand that we're not necessarily going to agree, but, but we'll be able to inform each other, I think. And, and our specific knowledge is about specific geographies and histories and, and cultural pockets and connections will always help to inform that, that debate, I think. But really, that's, that's the challenge. That's the exciting and interesting challenge, because it's an ongoing question, I think, isn't it? It's not going to get any, you know, Jewish music is not going to get any less diverse <laughs> as we go from here. If anything, it'll get more so, I'm, I'm sure. So, so we are, as scholars and practitioners and thinkers about Jewish music, we are always going to be confronted with that question, how do we actually conceptualise it? Uh, and I think we will always be trying to answer that. Do you think there even is such a thing as Jewish music <laughs> or an identifiable Jewish sound? 
why or why not? And if so, how would you characterize it? And of course, if this question seems too essentializing, what questions about music and sound of Jewish experience would you ask instead? Yeah, well, I guess that's that's what's underlying <laughs> the previous question, isn't it? It's tricky. Jewish music is a term that I use all the time. A lot of us do, but I, I must admit, I kind of mostly use it as a shorthand and I don't interrogate it nearly as much as I should. I often, if I'm talking to anybody or presenting to anybody about Jewish music, um, you know, maybe a lay audience or a non-Jewish music audience, I often start with three definitions that I'm sure you are familiar with, as, uh, which kind of outline three very different versions of it. There's Kurt Sachs's one about music by Jews, for Jews, as Jews, which is a very functional definition of Jewish music, but you can obviously instantly find many things that don't apply there. Most of the, you know, most of the musicians that I was talking to in Berlin, for example, or many of them. And then I use Idelson's kind of evocative but completely untenable uh, idea that Jewish music is the expression of 2,000 years of history in the, the drop of a single note or however he says it. Yeah, you know, which is wonderful. And wouldn't we all love to believe that? But I have trouble actually believing it. But I, I recognize the yearning in there and the desire for that sense of continuity, you know, for an idea of Jewish sound or Jewish music or Jewish musical experience to be continuous somehow through the history of, of, of Jew, Jewishness, you know, and Jewish life over, over many millennia. And then, then you have Mark Sobin's fantastic thing, which is, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like the mirage of Jewish music evaporates the closer you go to be replaced by a group of Jews singing whatever they like from any local source, which absolutely is the case as well. You know, it recognised, I mean, here in Scotland, they bench to Scotland the Brave, for example. You know, not always, but there's, that certainly happens, you know, which is a lovely, fun, funny adaptation of, you know, of, of a tune, which actually is considered by most Scots as a very kind of hackneyed thing, but it's a nice thing to do. those kind of things come into this these very different articulations of Jewish music so yeah I, I think there is something of Jewish music I wouldn't dream of trying to define it I guess you could say that there's there is always really in any sort of music there's always a historical and cultural identity wrapped up in there that's my ethnomusicological and cultural studies understanding of music and, and how music may may work in culture. There's always a, a historical and a cultural identity built in and music is always kind of in dialogue with that, sometimes informed by a historical and cultural identity, sometimes informing a historical and cultural identity. And for, you know, a significant amount of music of Jewish experience, the Jewish bit of that history and culture is is central and it's important. For some, of course, not at all. And, you know, people playing Jewish music. I mean, I, I play a lot of Latin American music, for example, but that, you know, and, but I'm from North London, but that doesn't stop it being Latin American music that I'm playing. So 
the the kind of relative balance of of the Jewishness in Jewish music obviously shifts even within individuals, you know, across different times and different spaces and different musical environments. So I would be wary of trying to characterize um, a Jewish sound, even within something like that most Jewish spaces like the synagogue, we still find a myriad sounds, at, you know, musical sounds at play across different, you know, different contexts and different uh, times and different places. But at the same time, I think exploring the, the kind of connections between Jewish experience and Jewish music is remains a really valuable thing to do. I think it's a really important thing to do as Jewish music scholars. And I think that's in a way what the study of Jewish music can contribute to ethnomusicology and the study of music more generally, because if we can use these understandings to help think about music and culture and music and migration and music and movement and the changing patterns of musicking as they relate to changing social and cultural histories, then I think through that we kind of find ways of using our musical scholarship and musical Jewish understandings to connect further, you know, to connect the Jewish experience outwards from, from itself to other sorts of experiences, which I, you know, I think that's what we're always trying to do as musicians, and that's what we should always be trying to do as academics as well. Um, I'm not sure that was really an answer, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's No, I think, I think it was a great answer, truly. I think for all that it's a very difficult question, you really took it and ran with it. So thank you okay, for that. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much for your time today and for agreeing to be on the podcast. My Thank pleasure. You. Thank you very much for having me. It's um, it's a great thing. A very, you know, it's 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 terrific that you're doing this, Sam. And I think it's uh, all of these kind of forums that are allowing these discussions to happen um, are are increasingly valuable. And and we all, you know, we we kind of particularly over the last couple of years and not being able to to meet face to face so much, we kicked off a lot of online stuff. And I think the the way these have now developed their own kind of lives and, and networks is terrific. So I, I, you know, wish you all the luck with this one and hope that it continues as I'm sure it will. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Jewish podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, the American Society for Jewish Music and the Lowell Milken Center for Music of American Jewish Experience at UCLA. Tune in next month when I will be joined by Dr. Amanda Rupenthal-Stein to discuss her ongoing study of Jewish identity in the art music of 19th century German-speaking Europe, as well as her recent trip with the Cantor's Assembly to visit the Abba Yudaya Jewish community of Uganda.